Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Today we're in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and why don't you turn there. While you're turning there, I'll just remind you this. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible, you don't have to go buy one. We bought them for you. We think that's an important thing to have. And so on the high top tables that are out in the lobby, just pluck one off there. That's yours. That's our gift to you. We have English Bibles and we have Spanish Bibles. So grab one on your way out today if you don't have one. Otherwise, I want to ask you to stand to your feet as we read our primary text. Those who are regulars, you know this. But if you knew, you should just kind of understand us. We don't up, down, up, down the whole morning right? We stand when we read our primary text. It's not the right thing to do. It's not the wrong thing to do. It's kind of our thing to do. And the reason we do it is a physical reminder to us that this isn't just some book that was written by some fellas. This is God's word. God is speaking to men, women, and kids at Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington, Minnesota right now as as we read his words. This is Romans chapter 6. Follow along. It says this, verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word that was written a couple thousand years ago. We thank you, God, that in your sovereignty, you knew that we'd be here today. And so God, because of that, you've given us this word. You're speaking to us right now. You're speaking to the church. And Father, what we would have to say is, what, what, what do you have to say to us that will draw us to you, that will cause us to worship you more? God, what are you speaking to us? And I pray that you tell us today, God. Be very clear with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, some of you might, you might know this story about this woman who lived in a house. She was in uh, Southern California, and she had this house. And she was just a learner. You know people who are like this? They're just learners. They're students, man. Whether they're enrolled in school or not, they're just students. They're learning everywhere they go. They, they read, they read, they read, and they love to read. And, and they live to gain knowledge. They're just knowledge seekers. And this woman was that way. And so she was just always seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge. And she would read and she would read. And so she didn't have a big house. She didn't have an opulent house. She didn't have an expensive house. But she had this little house. She lived in Southern California. And she took this one little room in her house and she turned it into a library. And every wall, every wall from floor to ceiling was just bookshelves. And they were just jam-packed in. And there were books that she's read and books that she's read. And she's seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge. And they're just, just, it's just full of books. And then because she lives in Southern California, and this happens from time to time, they had an earthquake. It was a pretty significant earthquake. And so the house remained. The house remained. But when she was checking on the house, she walked in, and she could barely open the door because all the books were just spilled out, and they just piled on the floor in just messy piles. and almost broke her heart because her books, her, her knowledge, and it's just they're all crinkled up and folded up. And so she spent the next at least week, and, and she goes in there every day, and she's just pulling books off and she's trying to get pages straightened back out and she's trying to get these books straightened up and and she's stacking them one and she's reorganizing and she's doing the whole thing and finally one day she walks in and all that's left in the entire room of all the books all that's left is one set of encyclopedias raise your hand if you remember what an encyclopedia yeah this is before wikipedia just so you know there's no wikipedia there's not any google there's not even barely goo it's just like there's none of that yet 
And so she's got one last set of encyclopedias, and she just loves these because, man, when I was a kid growing up, if we had to do, remember if you had to write a report, we would go to the library and we would look for the encyclopedias because that's knowledge, it's knowledge, it's knowledge, and that's what we would write our report with. And she goes in and she's just finishing them up. And, and finally, it's just the last, it's the smallest volume. It's the smallest volume of this book of knowledge, just this encyclopedia. And she bends over to pick it up and wham, and her back just snaps and down she goes. And this is why they say even a little knowledge is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's I'm going to preach to the drum for a little bit. That's what we're going to talk about today. Sometimes a little knowledge is dangerous. And the bigger thing that we're going to talk about today is incomplete knowledge. Yeah, the youth thought that was funny. Remember, you guys were just yucking it up over there. It's like a night of the chuckle hut. You guys were gut No, okay. And so we're talking about incomplete knowledge. And sometimes incomplete knowledge is dangerous because here's what happens. And maybe you grew up in the church all your life, and you've been around the church all your life. But sometimes there's this knowledge that we have in the church that is incomplete. And as a result, man, we're not experiencing the Christian faith the way we're supposed to be. And not only that, we don't worship God the way that we should because our knowledge is incomplete. And you might be here this morning, you say, well, Neil, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't call myself a Christian. I don't call myself a follower of Jesus. Let me just stop. Let me just stop right there. First of all, and, and I don't say this in any kind of patronizing or condescending way, if you're here this morning and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I'm really proud of you. I think it's a very courageous thing to do. I think it's very bold to be able to say, you know what, I don't really know. You know what, I'm really curious. You know what, I have questions. And you actually walk into a church. You are always welcome at Cedar Valley. And I love the fact that you would come here. But I would also say this. I believe there's something for you today. I believe we're going to see something word that, that will apply to your life. And it's very powerful. So I want to look at this passage of Scripture and look how Paul, now this is Paul. He's still writing to the Roman church. And Paul says this, well then. Now, well then is a weird way to start a chapter. Because the way that we read, we oftentimes, some of y'all will go to bed at night and you'll pull out a book and you'll start to read and you read through a chapter and at the end of the chapter you close the book and you put it down and maybe now tomorrow night you go and you pick up the same book and you start the next chapter. And usually the way our books work is that this chapter had this thought and it's kind of related to the next chapter but it doesn't hinge on it necessarily, right? And, and, and the difference is when we read the Bible, chapters and verses in the Bible are so helpful. Because I can say to you, hey, turn to your Bible right now, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews 4, and you all can flip right to it. Some of you know where these books are. And, you can, and I say, now look at verse 12. And you go, okay, there's verse 12. But that's not the, the way the Bible was written. The Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. Men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just read. They just wrote. And... And the Jews, especially in the Old Testament, they, they had much of this memorized, and they would look it up. But today, chapter and verse helps us very much. There weren't chapters in the Bible. Editors came along in about the 1200s and added chapters. And verses weren't added till about the 14 or 1500s. And so what happens to us sometimes is we're reading the scriptures, and we stop at the end of a chapter, or we start at the beginning of a chapter, and we miss the preceding thought. So in order to understand well then, because well then refers back to something, we have to know what that something was. So I'm going to take you back to chapter 5. If you have your Bible, just flip it back, maybe a page, chapter 5, and look at verse 20, and it says this, God's law, the, the, the Mosaic law, the Hebrew law, it was given actually so that all people could see how sinful they were. The law, the Jewish law was never given to save people. Contrary to that, it was actually given to, to, to show folks how sinful they were and to show folks that, wow, I can't possibly do this on my own. 
And he says, but as people sinned more and more, now get this phrase now, this is going to be very important, God's wonderful grace, just know that, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. Right? It was, it's more evident to people, it's more obvious to people, because they're sinning and God's grace is there. Then he goes on to the very next verse and Paul says, so just as sin ruled over people and brought them to death, here it is, you ready? Now, God's wonderful grace, there's that phrase again, rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God actually makes you and I, who are sinners, P.S., we're sinners, the grace of God has made us right with God. And Paul is talking here over and over about God's wonderful grace, God's wonderful grace. What's the big picture? The big picture is God's wonderful grace. Okay, now you flip the page. Now you go to chapter 6, and chapter 6 says, well then, in light of, in light of God's wonderful grace, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we just make God's grace more obvious to people? Should we just leave these, these crazy lives? Like Paul's asking a question. Now, I don't think Paul's worried that people are thinking that, but I think he's wondering. And just so you know that, that there was heretical teaching out there. In the 20th century, there was a Russian monk named Gregory Rasputin. And Rasputin actually believed that the way you experience God's grace is to just sin more. That that's what you do. So here's what you do. You just sin, and then you repent temporarily, and then you go back to it. And over here, you get to experience God's grace. So think about it. The more and more we sin, the more we experience God's grace. And Rasputin believed that the way that we experience God's grace and the way that we experience salvation is through greater sin. And he lived a life of notorious sin. And so Paul's saying, hmm, I wonder if in the 20th century, somebody crazy is going to think that. Like Paul's just thinking, what if, what if people are going to think that? So Paul poses the question, and now in the very next verse, Paul's going to answer the question, of course not, absolutely not, certainly not, heaven forbid, God forbid. This is emphatic language that Paul is using. Should we just go on sinning so that we notice God's grace more? Of course not, absolutely not, God forbid, heaven forbid, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So Paul's answering the question. He's talking here about God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And typically the way we think of grace, it's the Greek word charis, and it means a gift. It's a blessing. It's brought to man by Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God given to us through Christ. It's seen as God's favor or gratitude or thanks or kindness. And that's the way we think of grace. And we even have an acronym in the church, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And if I say, what is grace? We always think of, that's what I don't deserve. I got this thing that I don't deserve. And that is absolutely correct. And it is completely incomplete. And this is my contention. My contention is in the church, we just think of the grace as God as, I got something I didn't deserve. It is absolutely that. There's no question that it is absolutely that. But it's so much more than that. And again, I would say, if you've been a follower of Jesus, you say, oh, Neil, I've been, I've been following Jesus since I was little, and I was saved by grace, and I understand. I'm telling you, there's a word for you today. There's a word for me. And if you're, if you're new here, if you're not a follower of Christ, and you say, well, I, I just wanted the ground-level information. I'm not that. I'm telling you, you just got to hang in there with us, because there's going to be a word for you today. I would say it this way. I would say that complete grace has everything to do with everyone. The complete picture grace. It has everything to do with everyone. So here's what I want to do this morning. If you're new here, you wouldn't know this, but if you're a regular, you know that always at the end of the service, I give what's called a big so what. And the big so what, this is just always my pet peeve. 
And, and maybe you're the same way. I hate it when I go in somewhere and I, and I sit and listen to a message. And I, and I don't want to just listen critically, but I'm just saying, I walk out of there and I go, what do you, what do you think they were saying? What do you think the point was? What do you, what do you think the whole idea was? I don't, I don't ever want anybody to think that. So I just tell you, hey, here it is. If you want to sleep the rest of the time, that's okay. Here's the big so what. The big so what today is this, is that complete grace, and we're going to see this, is complete power. And I want you to see it. I want you to see it spelled out in the scriptures, not my crazy idea. I want you to see from the scripture that complete grace, the whole of, of grace, the totality of grace, is actually complete power. And I want to see it. So here's the first thought on this, is that number one, it's the power to transform. It is the power to transform. It is the power to change. You know that the Apostle Paul, he was a hooligan. He was a, he was, he was a thug. And Paul was, is, is writing now. He's the Apostle Paul now. And Paul's writing and he's telling people, hey, listen, you got to believe me. This Jesus, he rose from the dead. In fact, I'm not just the only one saying it. He rose from the dead. And then he appeared to these women at the tomb. And then he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to all the 12 disciples. And then he appeared to over 500 people at once. And then he appeared to his brother. Remember his brother James who thought he was a nut? When you read the Old Testament, the brothers all thought Jesus was a nut. He's saying he appeared to James. And then he said, and then... Last of all, as though I, Paul, had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Jesus also appeared to me, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, this is the apostle Paul saying, remember this, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus. A radical encounter with Jesus, it changed him. It transformed his life. He spent the entire rest of his life traveling the Mediterranean Rim at great peril to his own life, planting churches, preaching the gospel. He suffered. He was whipped on three different occasions. He was shipwrecked on four different occasions. Paul's risking his whole life. That same Paul now spends the rest of his days preaching to Jesus, was imprisoned, and died for his faith. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Paul, I'm not even worthy to be called. That's how bad I did. Paul was Al-Qaeda before Al-Qaeda was Al-Qaeda. Paul was dragging Christians out of homes. He was having them imprisoned. Paul was hoping that they would be killed for their faith. And then Paul goes on to say this, not after the way that I persecuted God's church. I don't even deserve it. That's how bad a dude I was. And then he goes on, he says, but whatever I am now, because now we know him as the apostle Paul, the greatest church planter in the history of the world, the great proclaimer of truth. He says, whatever I am now, it's all because of, yeah. Why is that, Paul? How did your life change? Why are you so radically different? And Paul says it's because God poured out his grace, his special favor on me. And not without results. No, 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 it had great impact on Paul. For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles yet. It wasn't I, but it was God working through me by his grace. The power of God, the grace of God has the power to radically transform lives. It has the power to radically transform lives. I was reading this uh, story a couple weeks ago, and it's about a guy named Anthony. He lived in Wilmington, Delaware. And Anthony talks about his life. And if you heard about this dude's life, I mean, by, by any stretch of imagination, every one of us would say, dude, that's a, that's a dysfunctional life. That's a dysfunctional life crazy upbringing. I can't even believe you live like that. And then he talks about, because of that, the significant addictions that took place in his life. Beginning in junior high, strongly addicted to drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol. And then as he grew into an adult, he had a life that a lot of us would say, 
Looks like he lives a fairly normal life. He was a self-employed electrician, but he talked about how chaotic his life was because of the addiction to drugs and alcohol. And the word that he used was really interesting to me because over and over he kept saying, I just felt powerless. I felt powerless. My life's never going to change. I hate my life. My life is about total destruction because of the addiction to drugs and alcohol. I don't have the power to change. I can't possibly change. And then he met Jesus. His life was radically transformed. Surrendered his life to Jesus. Radically transformed. Why? Because of the grace of God. Because the grace of God has the power to transform lives. Look, look, man, I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't addicted to alcohol. But I will tell you this. Growing up as a kid, smart mouth kid, we'd throw F-bombs like it was nothing, man. Just... Just long we didn't care. We'd say whatever we wanted, wherever we wanted. I mean, that's, that's just how we ran around the neighborhood. And we were smart enough to know, and some of you know what I'm talking about. We were smart enough to know. We'd cuss up a storm, and we'd swear up a storm, and we'd say just hideous things to people, mean things to people. And then when we got around our parents, we knew how to talk. And we always went to church, and we knew how to talk at church, too. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, Matt, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I was a sophomore in high school, we had the same youth pastor. Youth pastor just got a hold of my life, and it radically changed me, and it radically changed my mouth. You want to hear what's really funny? As a kid, I couldn't even talk right. And, and I went to uh, speech therapy. I went to speech lessons. And people that I know, they're speech therapists. They'll always say, yeah, I can still see some of yeah. But I went to speech therapy because I couldn't even talk right. And then when I did learn how to talk, I just talked swear, word, swear words all the time. And the power of grace radically transformed my life. And I'm saying, what is it that you just say, man, I don't have the power to change. I can't change this. This is in my life, and I can't change it. I have a smart mouth, and I say things all the time that I regret, and I see the destruction all over the place, and I just can't stop it. I can't stop myself from saying those things. I know they're hurtful things, and I just always say them. I'm saying, grace has the power to transform you. And some of you say, man, all the relationships in my life eventually just are destructive. They start out, and those relationships are great, and they, from there they all go downhill. And they're, they're just, there's just destruction everywhere, and I can't seem to, to help it, and I just feel powerless. And I'm telling you, the grace of God transforms those lives. It has a, some, of you, some of you say, you know where the destruction is in my life? I'm out of control with money, and it doesn't matter how much money I make, man. I spend on the craziest things, and my life is always in financial ruin. And I just don't feel like I have the power to change. My life's always out of control because financially, it, it's just like when you look behind me, there's carnage everywhere. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're feeling that right now. And your life is out of control financially and there's destruction everywhere because of financial ruin. And I'm telling you this, you don't have the power to change. But the grace of God has the power to transform your life. If I were to pass a microphone around this morning, I can look at you and I know some of your stories. And you would tell me and you would tell and you would testify to this whole church body about your addiction to drugs and your addiction to alcohol. And I know some of the stories. And some of you are all just screaming to get up here right now. You'd love to be up here and tell your story. And the grace of God has radically transformed your life. You met Jesus. And the grace of God radically transforms life. And if we just continue to think of grace as, well, I got something I didn't deserve, you missed it. You missed it. And you know what else is? God misses the worship that he deserves because he sees the transformed lives. 
Grace has the power to radically, I don't care what your situation is today. You need to know this and you need to hear it. And maybe it's the only reason that you're here today. God brought you here today. And maybe you're online to hear this. The power of God, the grace of God radically transforms lives. And it doesn't matter what the story is. It just doesn't matter. So clearly, grace has the power to transform lives. It also has the power to accomplish. The grace of God has power to accomplish great things, powerful things, right? Like some of you all, are, you have this burden in your heart. God has given you this burden in your heart. And you want to accomplish, I'm not talking about you want to make more money. You want to climb the top of the ladder. I'm saying you want to accomplish something great. God has put a dream in your heart, a vision in your heart. Some of you say this, I want to be a better father. I don't have the power to do that. Some of you said, I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better friend. That's that, goal, that thing that God is just burning in your heart. And you say, I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. I don't know how I would do that. And I'm saying, the grace of God has the power to accomplish great things in your life. Some of you have an actual dream that God has put. I believe there are people sitting here right now and you're saying, I believe God is calling me to foreign missions and I'm supposed to be, go be a missionary. I don't know how I could do that. I don't know how I would do that. I don't know how to get things squared away financially so I can go right? Tim, I saw you here this morning, right? Left everything, went to be a missionary, right? The grace of God has the power to accomplish amazing things in your life and in my life. The grace of God has the power to accomplish amazing things in this church, in this church. As we always say, we impact neighbors and nations, neighbors and nations. How are we going to radically impact this community? I don't know, but the grace of God gives us the power to accomplish. Maybe God has put some burden on your heart, some great project in your heart, some great ministry in your heart, and you're sitting here and you're going, how's that going to happen? Here's the answer. I don't have a clue. But I know that the grace of God has the power to accomplish great things, great things. Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church. Now see if you can identify with this. Man, they were being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. We're not really experiencing persecution yet. But you see things in the climate are just getting weirder and weirder. It's harder sometimes to stand up for being a follower of Christ. The Thessalonians, they were suffering radically. Radically, they were suffering. And what their greatest desire was, was and, and maybe this should be some of our greatest desire, I just want to live a life that brings honor and glory to God in the midst of this culture. Can I just do that? How do I do that? And I'm telling you, the grace of God has the power to accomplish. Here's what Paul writes to the Thessalonians as he's praying for them. He says, man, we keep praying for you. And we're asking our God to enable you, to enable you, to empower you, to live a life worthy of his call. And may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith would. Man, can I just pray that over you now, right now? God, in the name of Jesus, would you give this church body the power to accomplish all the good things that, that their faith is prompting them to do. Maybe that's in your heart, and God has put something like that in your heart, and you say, how would I do that? Javion, how would I do that? The grace of God gives you the power to accomplish whatever he's putting in your heart. Right? And the, Paul goes on, and he says, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because you have really good plans, because you're really strategic, because you're really smart, because you're really educated, because you got a lot of money, because you're all good-looking people. No, throw that out. That's all made possible because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we think that grace is just us getting what we deserve, what we don't deserve, that's true, but it's completely incomplete. Grace is more than that. Grace is the power to transform lives and it's the power to accomplish and to do 
That's what it is. There was a man of the scriptures named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a Jew, and that, at that time, Israel. They were so disobedient, you wouldn't even believe it. They were so disobedient. The Jews were, and they kept disobeying God's commands, disobeying God's commands. And now, finally, God is going to deal with them. And his discipline is called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians go in, and they invade, and they destroy the wall around Jerusalem. All cities, you've got to have a wall to protect the city, or you're in trouble. They destroy the wall, and they obliterate the city, and they take the Jews captive, and they take them off to Babylon. And Nehemiah is one of those. And as he's sitting in, in captivity, he keeps hearing reports of what's going on back in Jerusalem and the destruction and the trouble of the people. And it's breaking his heart, man. And he says, when I heard all this news, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And when he prays to God, this is what he says is, God, grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. He's got a plan, and he's going to go talk to the king about it. He's got a plan. And then when he talks to the king, he says, listen, King, send me. Send me to Judah. Why? To rebuild the city. Rebuild the city? Dude, you're six different kinds of crazy if you're going to rebuild that city. That ain't happening. The wall is destroyed. The city's in ruins. The people are demoralized. How is that? How are you going to accomplish that? That's a good question. And then we find this out. You get to chapter 6 and it says, so the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month of the law, in 52 days. And then he says this. And when our enemies heard that the work was completed, and the surrounding nations saw our wall, their confidence actually crumbled. Only one possible conclusion could be drawn. They were really smart. They had a great plan. No. They are really good looking. No. They had lots of money. No. The only possible conclusion was this. It wasn't just our efforts that had done this thing. No, God had been working. It's the grace of God. God is doing the work. That's the grace. It has the power to transform lives. It has the power to accomplish great things. Let me give you one last quick one to think about. See, grace has the power to save. Now, if you're new to church, if you're not a church folk, you're like, why well, is church folk always talking about being saved? Saved from what? I'll tell you what we're saved from. The Bible says clearly this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then later, Paul says in the book of Romans, and the wages of sin, what we've earned from that sin is death. Now, we all die. You say, no big deal, we all die. No, no, no. It's not talking about physical death. Everybody dies physically. It's talking about spiritual death. It means separation from God. It means, it means when you die, there is only eternal hell. We're not supposed to talk about hell anymore. But the Bible is very clear about it. But the grace of God can save you. The grace of God can save you. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, spiritually dead, we were separated from God, even though we were dead, that, that, that's a powerful word, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. I know this is a really popular idea. How do you think you're going to get to heaven? I'm a pretty good person. I've never met anybody who didn't think they were a good person. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible doesn't say that. Being a good person doesn't matter. I'm hoping that when you get saved, that the Holy Spirit transforms us and makes us nicer people, you know? But being a good person doesn't save us. It's only by the grace of God. And then he explains it a little bit better. He says, God saved you when you believed, when you placed your trust in him. Not because you did good works. Not because you drop a nickel in the bucket. 
It's not any of that. It's because we give our lives to Christ. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So if you're like me, because I listen to some of them, I'm like, well, that just brings up a natural question. The natural question after this morning, because we know that grace has the power to transform, gives us the power to accomplish, it gives us the power to save. Here's the question. How can I get some of that grace? How can I receive God's grace? How, how do I receive God's grace? That's, that's the question. If that's the question that was in your head, you're asking the right question. And the answer is this. It's complete surrender. Like, I don't pull any punches. I don't say if you just stick around here long enough and you give an offering, that's good. You're going to go to heaven someday. God saves you by his grace. Nope. Like, you just need to know this, getting into it. Complete surrender. That's how it is. Jesus was talking to a group, and he calls them to him, and it says, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus says to the crowd, Jesus, if any of you wants to be Jesus, my disciples, my followers, you got to give up your own way. That's surrender. you got to give up your own way. You don't run your own life anymore. You don't call the shots. That's tough. In our culture, that's tough. you got to give up your own way. And then he says this, take up your cross. Man, to a first century audience, they saw people carrying their own cross to the crucifixion. And then they watched him hang on the cross. He says, you got to give up your own way. And more than that, you got to pick up a cross and you got to follow me. And then he says this, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to continue to run your own life, call all the shots, you're going to lose it. But here's the deal. If you'll totally surrender for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. So this is where we started this morning. Complete grace is complete power. And that is true. But I want to put this add-on to it. Complete power is only found in complete surrender. you got to surrender. you got to surrender. 